1: Course will be with you always. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we are continuing our Ghostbusters month. We've got the fans in, and now we're going to be talking about the movies, the retrospective starts. And I'm getting someone who's giving me a season's greetings, one of the pop gorillas himself. How are you doing, James? You okay? I'm good, thank you, Scott. Yeah, I'm good. You're getting, you know, you're getting a rivalry with Max going here with your interest. I'm trying, yeah. I want that energy. <laughs> I want that energy, definitely. Um, yeah. Before we jump into the film, uh, we are going to mm. give a pop and sort of let everyone sort of, you know, go find you and that sort of thing. But um, I want to give a shout out to Pop Gorillas.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and I haven't no had a chance to ask you, ask you or Tony yet. Um. Because it is a fantastic idea. Oh, well,
0: that's I, nice.
1: I, I, I love the idea. It's <laughs> wicked. Um and like little just little nuggets of awesomeness mm. um but like, explain to the listeners what pop gorillas is
0: yeah so it's tony myself and my sister Rhea, who's obviously um got a blossoming career at the moment in, in mm. the podcast world um so at the moment it's the three of us and we are recording um our thoughts on anything from pop culture um in less time than it takes to listen to a song so hence the pop part of our name um We're just, yeah, it's good fun. Like, we did the theme of the Halloween saga for uh, October. But other than that, it's really just what we're reading and watching at any given time, Um, which I quite like the randomness of it. Tony, his consumption of books is ridiculous. Yeah. So we get to hear all his views on the books that he's reading. I am mostly film, so I guess I come at it from that angle. And then my sister has the nice kind of blend of the worlds and different tastes, so... Yeah, hopefully it's offering something for everybody, really.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's great. It's part of the Comics Emotion Motion um, mm. channel. Um, but yeah, no, I was using it as I was going along. Um, I was watching the Halloween movies. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it was a nice little sort of touch base. Like I say, literally between three and four minutes, most of them. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Great idea. love it. Yeah. Um, this won't be that concise because I don't <laughs> shut up. Um, so, you know, I've tried to do those things. I tried to do it on YouTube once. I was like, yeah, I'll keep this to 10 minutes. Never could. Like, not possible for me. Got verbal diarrhea. But today we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters, 1984 Ghostbusters. This whole retrospective is going to be slightly different. Usually I sort of cram in a couple of films into, a, into an episode. Mm. But this this time I've got someone different for every film. Uh, and you, you mentioned, Ria, uh starting a femme on film. Uh, mm. She's coming in to do 2016 Ghostbusters. Who better awesome. at this point to do uh, 2016? So, starting with you, enemy your sister. That's, uh, you know, keeping it in the family. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, let's start then. So, yeah, 1984. And um, mm-hmm. um, where did you first see Ghostbusters?
0: Yeah, I obviously thought you might ask that question. I've been thinking about it. And if I'm honest, I don't know. I mean, I'm four in 1984, so I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure I wasn't taken to the cinema to see this. (laughs) Um, I have got a brother who's eight years older than me. So perhaps, you know, he may have been certainly at this point. But it was something that was on hard rotation in our house. So I presume it was recorded off TV, which Mm -hmm. is where we watched a lot of stuff. And where I know a lot of us did in in the 80s, Um, which, as it turns out, was totally Against the law, which I didn't ever really yeah. think about, but of course it was, because you're yeah. breaking copyright. Um but we all did it, so it's fine. Um so yeah, but it was it was on like on a loop. It was on loads. Um I also had the cassette of the soundtrack mm. um that would be on hard rotation on my Walkman as well. We used to go away every holiday, every holiday, as a lot of kids do with their families, um, up to the Lake District, which yes. now yeah, I'm to the age now where I'm thinking, wow, that would be amazing. When you're you know, <laughs> primary school to secondary school age, it's like, oh God, go with my parents again and they're going to drag me out walking in the rain. Um, it's funny how we all turn into them eventually, yeah. isn't it? But um, yeah, so that was always on in the car and the drive up, uh, a mixture of that and the return of the Jedi school. Nice. Um, the trusted Walkman keeping me company. So yeah, it was, I guess like so many people, it was just in my life. It was part of my, my cultural existence at that point. I can't think exactly when I saw the movie for the first
1: time. Mm. It is interesting. It sort of seems to like, just the osmosis for a lot. I've looked at a few people who mm. just seem to just appear. Like, you're not the only one who said to me, like, I can't remember the first time. It was just there. And then yeah. it's become a part of the cultural landscape since. Were you? Mm. Did you watch the cartoon? I mean, were you a real Ghostbusters fan?
0: I was. I mean, again, not really, not religiously, I wouldn't have said. I can't remember. Was that a Saturday morning? Mm.
1: Uh, Eighty six to 90 really yeah
0: i mean i was into you know turtles and all that kind of stuff in that same sort of era so um and i have watched a bit of it since when my eldest he's nine now and um we watched ghostbusters a couple of years ago i think because when i showed mm. him it um so we then went and delved into some of the real ghostbusters cartoons as well um and it was nostalgic watching that back and a few of it was ringing some bells but i couldn't sit and tell you any of the plots of any of the episodes or anything if i'm
1: honest don't worry, there's not gonna be a quiz, but yes, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's interesting how sort of people, sort of you know, so you, you're not like you know they say there's real dedicated guys are ghost heads, um, you know that far. it's just a part of your sort of pop culture landscape. Then really, as you've grown up,
0: yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. I think that, that sums it up perfectly.
1: Okay, cool. So let's talk about the film then. So, um, mm. the, and we'll we'll get to not so much the elephant in the room, but the Phelps in the room. Um, <laughs> sure, which hangs over like a shadow. Uh, <laughs> so we'll get to that in a bit. But yeah, j- just the film in general. You know, you've gone back to it. You watched it with fresh eyes today.
0: Mm.
1: What your sort of first thoughts then, going back and watching it? You know, does it stand up? You know, do you still enjoy it, or do mm-hmm. you think it's dated? You know, it's an eighties film as it is now. Yeah, I mean,
0: of course, parts of it are dated. I mean, we could sit here and talk about the effects. I mean, I think they're charming and yeah. in their datedness. Um, Obviously, some of the stuff Enkman does has not dated very well. Um, I mean, other than those two things, I would say everything else about it absolutely hits. Um, it's got a classic kind of three-act structure, hasn't it? Mm. But it really almost strictly adheres to it, you know, kind of 30 to 35 minutes. Let's let us let us get the team together, let's get them set up. 30-35 minutes, we're out, busting ghosts, and then we get the, the same for the finale. So it's got that classic structure. But it, it really does balance, and I, you know this is why it's become so cu- such a cultural phenomenon. It balances that world of horror and comedy like nothing
1: else. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you said, first thing you say about the structure. Mm. Uh, when I when I watched it this week, I did a bit of a I did a time because it's, it's, mm. it's an, one forty five. But you take away the credits, it's about one thirty eight, Um That they get to the Cedric Hotel to, to boss Slimer. Mm-hmm. At 30 minutes. Right. And um, the chaos at the end, you know, sort of like all the, the, when the ghosts are released and you get sort of like the zombie taxi driver and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That that happens with 35 minutes to go. So it's probably about, say, about 30 minutes of film. So you're totally right. Like, there's literally, there's, <clears throat> there's a there's a 30-minute first act, mm-hmm. a 30-minute finale, yeah, and a 45-minute second act. It's so tight. It's brilliant. Yeah, and it's great. That's what I say. It is considering the cast, and mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. they they've all come up through SNL and um and the the, the Canadian version, which I forget. Second City is that? Second it? City, that's it. Yeah, well I've remembered. Um, <laughs> so guys that have you know are used to doing sort of like off the cuff doing doing that sort of thing and doing sort of the uh, um. Just sort of yeah, going off page. Like it seems like yeah, they're yeah, really it's a bit
0: improvisational, isn't it? Improv. Yeah, that's what I was looking yeah. for. Yeah,
1: but you can. That feels like a tightness and almost like a respect for what mm. Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd have written. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get the feeling that, like you know, having seen interviews. Like Ivan Reitman's reining them in. I'm pretty sure there are scenes that have never appeared. You know, there's cuts. Yeah. You know, that like, right. We're going to let Bill or Dan or whoever <laughs> go off and do his thing. Right. You've done your bit. Now do the words on the page. Let's see mm. which turns out better. Um, but yeah, it is. It's so tight. And it's so sort of economical. Mm. Um, to his detriment at one point, because the one thing I get, I've noticed as I've got, you know, old and I've watched is I'm going to ask you this because it's an odd question. How long do you think the period the film covers?
0: Yeah, that's a good question because there's just that one line from Winston, isn't there, at the end. And he says, oh, "I've been doing this for a couple of weeks now." Yeah. Um. So we know that, and he feels like he's been in it for quite a long time. Yeah. So I guess
1: six weeks. Yeah, th- this is it again. I-, I went online and checked this, and there is there is no definitive answer. And mm. people do say like anything between nine and about six to eight weeks. Okay. So, sorry, nine months to about six to eight weeks. So people, some people think, okay. like, "Oh, this has been going on for ages." Yeah. Um. You know, but then others are like, "Oh no, no, it's about three months um, yeah. or less." The um, seasons
0: don't really seem to change, do they? Which is a no. bit. Of
1: a... Yeah, uh, it's I mean, it's clearer in the second film, like you know, because it's mm-hmm. it leads up to a, specific, a definitive um, annual milestone. But yeah, it's it's just odd. like I say, it was it was filmed, um, it was re- it was filmed for a June release, so it was filmed over winter and into spring. Mm-hmm. Um. And so you're yeah, right. It doesn't. It feels like almost like a winter film when you watch it. Like it feels it cold. Um, but yeah, no, it was just something I recognised this time. I was like, yeah, I don't know, how long? How long do the Ghostbusters? How long mm-hmm. are they around yeah.
0: for? Um, I would never thought of it actually until you would ask. And then only then that Winston quite popped into my head. Yeah, I mean, it's a miracle that the film comes out <laughs> in the way that it does, doesn't it? In terms yeah. of, as you said, the improvisational nature of the cast, the fact they had a year to get it done.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that we're talking about it here now, all these years later, and it wasn't just something that came and went, just goes to show the amount of quality that was behind that camera making that movie.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, there's, there's, there's a couple of documentaries. Uh, one of the best ones is called Cleaning Up the Town. Um, it's fantastic. And in that, like, it highlights. And, and the sort of, in the, um, the movies that made us um, mm-hmm. on Netflix, did an episode on it. And like you say, had a year to make it from the moment they were given the green light, (laughs) uh, including all these sort of special effects. Um, Mm. And also a budget that they were like, you cannot go over. I think Mm it's 30 million. They were like, you got 30 million. Like, that's it. 30 million, 12 months. Go. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: And I think at that point, they were still looking at the original concept.
0: Right, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi were like, Yeah, we want this thing in the future, and it's going to have like massive ghosts in the in the second act, and then we're going to lead <laughs> up to this massive thing. In the, and uh, I think they were like, No, 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 you've got to go away. <laughs> Pin this down to something else. Um. Uh, so it is, it's one of those sort of like lightning in a like lightning mm-hmm. in the bottle kind of mm-hmm. scenarios, isn't it? Like everything fell into place. Um, but yeah, even the casting, like, you know, um, obviously the, the, the four. I mean, what what's your thoughts on the actual, on the cast? Like, you know, um, all four of them, just up with the, the actual Ghostbusters. Yeah, I think, um, again, like the transitory
0: nature of growing older and, and re-watching things is so fascinating, isn't it? I mean, when you're growing up, Fenkman is the guy. Like, yeah. he's the funniest. Um, he gets the most screen time, obviously, he gets all the best lines, which I know, obviously, some of them were Murray's own. Um, but now, when I watch it, it's all about Egon. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, Howard Ramis, yeah, he's just absolutely amazing in the role um, and just totally owns all his moments. I love it when he's like, um, uh, I collect spores and moulds and fungus. Like, it's just so (laughs) funny. It's like dry, understated um, delivery. But those three particularly, I mean, it makes sense if they all knew each other. The chemistry is so good, isn't it?
1: Mm.
0: It's kind of hard watching it and thinking about Ernie Hudson and he's not very good, I don't think, actually. It's particularly stacked next to these three, yeah. But then also, if he's been left out the whole time and his role has been reduced, and how much energy did he have to give to it anyway? I'd be interested to think about.
1: Yeah, only Hood's to the interesting one because uh, originally, obviously, it was offered to um, Eddie Murphy, mm. uh, and then he was all up for it, and then but then he started contributing lines and and. and Uh, ideas, and they were a bit like, Oh, this is an ego problem, we're not gonna, it's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he was taken out, and then they they, they realized that actually, lots of the because with Eddie leaving, they were like, He's got all the good lines, (laughs) let's redistribute them. And so Ernie Hudson sort of left with this, but yeah, half apart, in all honesty, yeah,
0: it does feel like that,
1: yeah. Um, and he he is almost like, Well, he's literally the fourth wheel in this situation rather than the third wheel, Mm. but. Um, he, he, yeah, he has a couple of moments that I I do like, like he has screen mm-hmm. presence. He's still quite young at this point. He has screen presence. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, but yeah, I don't know. You're right. He, he just feel, I feel bad for him. Like he seems to have done the best out of it in, in the long run as well. Like, you mm-hmm. know? um, it's but. the
0: scene in the mayor's office for me where like obviously everything is so sparky and so mm. good. Like In terms of a scene, in, a comedy scene has my absolute favourite line delivery of all time and um, where Bill Murray totally yeah. annihilates Peck. Um, yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no doing that line justice. It is literally the funniest line in, in cinema. and it, You know it's coming and I still raucously laugh every single time um but by by comparison when he's doing his like moment coming in to talk the it's it feels a bit weak but i love this town at the end is awesome so yeah checks and balances
1: yeah no, and that, that's a really good point because i say it's a bit he does have like the two lines that always stand out for me are that mm-hmm. thing where he says like you know i've seen shit that would turn you white and uh, yeah um he's he sort of like you say it's funny but it's mm-hmm. not it's not quite nailing the delivery of the sort of the professional sort of comedic actors, um, but that sort of thing at the end. Yeah, I love this town. Feels like a triumphant moment. Like, and he it feels does. he feels like a New Yorker as well, which is mm. you know really cool. Um, so yeah, no, he he does sort of get paid up. He, he isn't. It's an interesting one because this is the eighties and. Mm. You know, this is a very different time, and I'm, I'm sort of going to try and try carefully on this. Like every poster we get now has got every bleeder on it. Like you know, it's not. It's about who can we get on to? to mm-hmm. I mean, let's be clear. Let's be clear. Dune Part One came up recently. Zendaya's on the poster because they knew she's in it. She's in mm-hmm. it for all of like three minutes. Like you know, <laughs> spo- spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But like you know, if you know the story, you'll know why. Like, um, but like, this th- she's still on the poster mm-hmm. with this. It's only the three of them. It's only sort yeah. of it's only uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and uh, um, uh, Harold Ramis. Mm. And I, it's always bothered me. Like I I hate using you know when I promote this and it goes I will not use that poster mm-hmm. because there are four Ghostbusters. There aren't three. Mm. There are four, and so I've always hated that poster. Um, I prefer the Ghost logo, mm. um, and so yeah. because it feels a bit like he's an afterthought, and I really sort of feel that's a Ashamed.
0: Yeah, because when they come together, like the shot of them um, on the top of the Dana's building at the mm. end, when they're going towards Gozer and they, they've decided they're going to cross the streams, like that's that's such a cool, iconic yeah. shot. Um, you know, you're right. Why isn't that one on the place? absolutely, and he fits perfectly in that moment. It, it's almost as if, as the film goes on, he does get a bit more to do, and perhaps mm. he's aware of that, and he's trying a bit harder, or um, he's got into the rhythm of the the comedy. He, I I don't know. Like he does seem to get better and better as the film goes on. And in that final act, he's definitely at his best. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think as I say, if you're at sort of, I don't know how old he was, it must be sort of late twenties, early thirties when he's doing mm-hmm. this. Um, and if you're then around those three, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you've got to when you're a game, and it must be exhausting to try yeah, and. Yeah, it's quite intimidating. I bet. Yeah, and you you either try and match them, or you do mm-hmm. some, or you do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can tell. There's a couple of scenes where he's not. He's not sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but you're right, in that finale, like he finds his role. Like that's the Winston I think we'll get to know and love. Um, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm interested like, how when he comes back, because um he he of all of them have probably you know, he's probably kept kept himself in the best shape. He's sort of mm-hmm. still acting quite, you know, frequent and stuff. So when they come mm-hmm. back and you have like, you know. Bill, Bill, Marine Danakroid. If they, if and if and when they suit up in the next film, like, I, I get the feeling that Ernie Hudson's still going to be like, "Oh, I look good in this stuff." Yeah, like, you, know, <laughs> you, do, you guys look gold, but I look good.
0: He's going to have like a, a Will Smith in Men in Black moment. Yeah, you yeah, knew yeah. me. I make this shit look good. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, I, still make this shit look good. Maybe
1: that would be quite cool if he had that line. The thing is, they say mm. if you think back, this goes back to. The, the these the you know let's say the what ifs like a Marvel yeah. what if if it had been Eddie Murphy, mm. I always think about this. I think I think it'd be too, it'd have been too much.
0: Yeah, he would have stolen it completely, wouldn't he? Because what this is Beverly Hills Cop era. Oh
1: yeah Eddie yeah he, yeah. Um, he was nineteen when he made Forty Eight Hours.
0: Right
1: or 21. That's what, 82 is it eighty two? So. Yeah. So this is two years later. So he'd still be like, he'd be younger than twenty-four, and yeah, in yeah, riding high on that ego. So Mm. yeah, I think it would have been. I think it would have been a very, very different film. Um, Yeah, I think you you
0: need that slightly straighter man, and I think it's just a shame they didn't like allow allow for him to do a bit more with that straightness. I suppose. Mm. That didn't come out the way I meant it, that sentence.
1: No, but. I know what you mean, no. You, we, yeah, because if you've got if you've got two comedy, if you've got three yeah. comedy guys and then you, you need the straight man, you need your... Well, he's the point of view character, and that's one of the weird things. He comes in very late to the story yeah. as well. And I've always thought, like, he should come in a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did originally. They sort of moved the script around and he ended up coming later. But you talk about the straight man, I want to just talk about Harold Ramis again. Mm because um, obviously we've seen Harold run it in at other things, stripes with him and Bill Murray again. Um, but you're right, like he where the other two go quite big, mm-hmm. like he, with Egon, he brings it stri- really down. Um, and he some of the he has like really subtle moments that I love. Um mm-hmm. when they're looking at when they're sort of inspecting the firehouse and the estate agents there, and Ray's all excited about the pole. And <laughs> in sort of like and uh, Venkman looks at Egon and Egon's just going. Like, don't like shaking his head, but like doing it really subtly. And he's like, "I think we'll take it." Um, And then when they're at the Sedgwick, and he's sort of like, they're trying to do the costing, and he's just like, "I say, yeah, (laughs) yeah." He puts it up on his face, and he's like, "That's two thousand pounds (laughs) for just those little bits um, throughout the film." Like, you know, Harold Ramis is is brilliant in this film, Mm. Um, uh, and so yeah, it's like you're right because when you're a kid, it's the sort of Bill Bill Murray's front and center in this film. But as you get older, you do. You watch the characters and you go, "Oh, I like what they're doing. They're very, very good." Yeah. Um Let's just look at what the the wider cast because there's, mm-hmm. there's obviously um, there's there's two others and then there's some there's some others. And we'll talk about Peck as well. But <laughs> uh, Sigourney Weaver and um, Lewis Tully uh, played by I oh, Check. Why is what is one of my sort? Rick Moranis. Jesus Christ, my memory's. Safe. <laughs> um. Basically, Rip Moranis coming from uh, Second City, mm. uh, Canadian, and then Sigourney Weaver again, a non-comedic actress coming in, mm-hmm. uh, hot off of well, not really, not really hot off, but of Alien, um, yeah. and doing some quite serious roles. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts on sort of those? As you know, Sigourney Weaver and Rip Moranis?
0: I th- yeah, I and mean, we're going to come back to so, that wedding and like. Sigourney Weaver, I mean, she is funny in this and she goes on to be funny in other things, doesn't she? Particularly, obviously, Mm. Galaxy Quest. Mm. Um, But her her playing this straight is what makes the role work completely. Because Bill Murray's like like that scene when he's coming to her apartment and he's got his little sniffer thing, like her little deadpan reactions to him there. Again, like, excuse me, if she'd been going big there, that scene wouldn't have worked at all. So I think she was perfect casting. And I think It's one of those, like, maybe counter-casting things we see, you know, when Jim Mm. Carrey's in the Truman Show or people expect her to do one thing and she does something else. So, yeah, I think she's fantastic in this. Um, Rick Moranis, however, I mean, Bill Murray is rightly celebrated. He is amazing in this film. And it made his career, really, didn't it? I mean, Mm. this is it from this point. I know he'd already been a big success on Saturday Night Live, but, I mean, in terms of film career, But Rick Rick, uh, Moranis, my God, like watching it today, just everything he does is so funny. Um, Particularly the scene when they come to shut off the. um, I can't think what it's called. What's like the The, uh, the the generation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When um, he's copying everybody and he's mirroring, Mm. it's fantastic. Yeah, I think um, we all know how talented he is and we know the decisions. Make, the reasons why he made the decision to step away from Max mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's, it's it was clearly the right one for him and what he needed to do for his family. But it is a loss for us because he's such a talent.
1: You, yeah you're right. I mean again it, he came in last minute as well. It's one of those likelihoods you know, mm-hmm. because he came it, originally like they looked at uh John Candy and John Candy wanted to do like a big German character with Dobermans yeah. and stuff. <laughs> uh and they were like again it's not right. Uh and he came in and, and a, from what i've read and stuff like yeah mm. they just gave him some mild direction and he just sort of created this character
0: oh it's so good isn't it
1: and yeah everything about lewis tully is <laughs> is just perfect on screen um because yeah. he, he is a caricature he is a comedy actor he's mm-hmm. a comedy character but he also feels real mm. um you know, I love the fact that he throws a party. He's, a, he's a, uh, an accountant and he throws the party for his clients so he can do it as a tax write off. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's the way he introduces that couple when yeah. they come in as well. It's so good.
1: Yeah. So he quotes how much like they've got on their mortgage and other yeah. stuff. And, he's like, and they're doing all right. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's such a great character. But you say it's it's, it's more like you say it's not just the, the Lewis Tully, it's when he's Vince Clotho and he plays the mime yeah. and stuff. Mem, you know, his mind, like he he rubbed the pizza on his face at one point. And <laughs> yeah, he, he sort of um, he's he's, and this is that thing—the difference between sort of, as you said about uh, Eddie Murphy, not just deadpan Eddie Murphy. because I love Eddie Murphy, especially in this, mm. in this period. But he would have stolen mm. those mm-hmm. scenes. He would have been mm-hmm. larger than life, where sort of like Rick Moranis is doing fantastic stuff, but it's in the background a lot of times. Mm. Um, like you said when they sort of come down and he's doing the pointing when the guy is pointing <laughs> at him or and something. And it's all in the in the background. It, it's you know, I don't know how much of that is directed or him just doing just doing it, but it's not there to steal the screen, it, it's there because it's funny. Yeah. Um and it's quite a tense moment, but it's still it, it's still adding that levity. And I think, you know, um th- this is something I often think is missing in, you know, in Films today, where they'll mm. build up to it, there's certain directors, and I'm not going to sort of like, you know, shit in anyone, but they've made films I haven't, um, <laughs> where, where they'll have a great moment of tension or a great moment of horror, then they undercut it immediately with a big joke. Yeah. And I will say, I find that with Thor Ragnarok, and I think Ta- Taika Waititi can do that. Mm-hmm. Mostly it's very good, but there's moments you go, oh, oh you, you've done it with a joke. And they don't do that with this. Mm. Like the, the humor, it's, it's humorous without trying to be jokey. Yeah. Um, And and I think, yeah, Rick Morales got that memo. What would they say? Yeah, definitely. He knew the assignment, as they say.
0: I think um, the bits I've read with him talking about that, you know, what it was like being on set. And for him, he's looking up to these actors he's with at this point as well. He he uses that word about, like, the collaboration, the idea of, like, they come from improv background, And in improv, it's Mm. about making the other guy look good. And I think that's what this film does. Like, everybody Mm. is working hard to make the joke work or make the scene work or give that moment it's time to shine or to settle. Or... So I think that's why there isn't any of this undercutting. I agree with you. Um, you know, like Judd Apatow is clearly very influenced by Ghostbusters and this improvis- improvisational era of comedy from Saturday Night Live and, and all that. And at times he doesn't get it quite right. Yeah. Where, where this gets it right every single time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I think other than those things you highlighted or I highlighted at the start, I think every joke lands. Mm. Um, every performance is is absolutely correct. And I think it's because everybody wants to make a really good film.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. They all want to make it. But you're right But the other thing as well. But if it's fun on set. Right, yeah. People will bring their A game. You know? Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that I think, from what I understand, day one was the only really tense day. Mm-hmm. um of this i can't remember what it was in the film oh no i know what it was they were filming so you know when they have the montage and they're running around and they've got them in in new york that was the first mm-hmm. thing they ever um they ever filmed uh, and obviously all in kit so you know ackroyd and and ramis are there in their sort of the flight suits the packs on or something and no one could get hold of bill murray right okay <laughs> that's about right yeah Yeah, he'd he'd been in France uh, after doing something else, and they weren't even sure if he was in the country. And he apparently sort of like worded said, yes, he is, and he will be on set because he doesn't have an agent, Mm -hmm. still doesn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he, he turned up a little bit late, but apparently they were very tense on that first day, and there was some sort of irritation. But once it got flowing, they were doesn't he
0: also not sign a contract and all this kind of weird stuff as well? Like he would do a verbal agreement and so you never yes. know until you start filming, if he's going to turn up and all this kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I think there's a few people he will have like a, I think like Wes Anderson, like he's got obviously a very good relationship with and mm-hmm. will have those thing, kind of things. But um, like I say, he doesn't have an, an agent. He has an 0800 number or something right. and you, <laughs> yeah. you have to ring it and leave him a message, like convince him to come to, you know, that you want to do a film with him. It's very bizarre. Um. But you're right, all the cast sort of are bringing their A-game and you can sort of see that they gel. Um, and mm. talking about Sigourney Weaver, one of the things, I saw this on a tweet this morning, actually. Mm. It really made me think. Um, it seemed very sort of apt that she should be doing this. It just had that, that scene you just mentioned of her basically kicking um, Fenton out of her apartment. Because mm. you know, he's giving it, he's trying to give it all that charm. And he's actually very, he is very lecherous. I'll admit it. Right At that point, he's being very <laughs> lechy. But it doesn't phase her. No, it doesn't. It's and, true. And she's just like, I'm not. I'm not putting up with your bullshit. Get out. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this, this woman had tweeted. Like, now that's representation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's a really good point because they don't. She's not a bimbo. She's not being mm-hmm. thrown to or anything like, that. like. Yeah, to start this up, she lives on her own in New York. She's a musician. Yeah, and she takes in a penthouse,
0: house, no less.
1: Yeah, in a really good apartment, mm-hmm. and she doesn't take any shit from the from the boys. Mm -hmm. and so you're actually yeah she's actually a really strong independent character um you know she isn't made at no point you know she's um she's no no point she's a damsel in distress Mm -hmm. she becomes possessed and but it's not like she's not you know she's not solely there to be saved like you know yeah um so yeah i find that interesting i think in order to 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 this point, obviously, you know that, that to Venkman and his point, yes, he starts off lecherous, but I actually think it's her strength and her bit, that actually gives him his arc. Because mm-hmm. by the end of it, like he's one of the ones that's like, yeah, all right, I'm willing to sacrifice my life to save the world and save the city. Um, you know, so I think, I think, yeah, I think Sigourney Weaver playing it the way she does mm. uh, makes Dana Barrett sort of a really strong female character, which obviously, you know, probably. Maybe whether she got the job actually, considering she's come off of mm. Ellen, Ellen Ripley and stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: definitely. Because I mean, Franklin's not the only anyway, is he? Like Lewis is is kind of constantly trying to chat her up. He's clearly looking at his peephole, waiting for her to come home, isn't he? <laughs> and try and catch her in the corridor and stuff. So yeah. Um, and she, again she's very strong there and she plays him off really well, and she never comes across as being I don't know, like that that seems really well handled, I think, because like she handles him really well. She's not rude to him. She clearly like kind of shuts him down. But, um, yeah, I agree. I think she's, a, I, I, I can see her being a, a role model for, for young uh, mm. women to the cup too. Absolutely.
1: I, I love the comedy of that as well. because You say about, sort of there was, there was something you made, you said before and I wanted to make a joke, but like you said about um, uh, Rip Moranis looking up to these guys. Hey, <laughs> literally looking up to Sigourney Weaver as well. Yeah. Like she's six foot tall. Um and he's I don't know like five two, five three, like he's he's not a big guy.
0: It's almost um, like forced perspective that scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's like like Lord of the Rings or something <laughs> where they
1: have to get people into positions to <laughs> he would have made a great hobbit. Yeah, um, he would have,
0: he? Yeah.
1: Uh but yes, uh no, I, I love those sort of jokes as well, sort of you know. Um but the there's something about sorry, I was gonna say there's
0: something about him that I'd never thought of before today as well. Um, and I can't claim credit, I read it on the internet, so I'm not going to say it's mine, but I'd never picked up on the fact. So I was watching it today with this in mind that he is the key master,
1: yeah,
0: and he keeps getting locked out of his apartment. I'd never put those two things
1: together before. Wow, I've never thought of that before. That's a really good point,
0: and it must be there on purpose, right? That must be that must be part of the joke. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that
1: must be like, yeah, that's an Easter egg, or like a little,
0: I don't know how many times. I've watched this film, and I've never put those two things together. So yeah, when I read that today, I was like, "Oh my god, that's genius!" So that was in my head all the way through watching it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's really a good point, actually. I I do love how um, uh, like desperate's probably the wrong word, but like I, I love how sort of um, far he's willing to go to impress Dana. Yeah, um, and you know, there's there's subtle hints straight away. The moment you meet Dana Barrett, like she comes into her apartment. And one of the first things you learn is that her TV has been turned up Mm. real real loud. And it's there to say, like, you know, something weird is already going on. Like it's Mm -hmm. even at this point, it's a haunted house trope. And instead of sort of making it to be a creepy moment, it's just dropped as there's a Mm. dropped line line of dialogue. And then followed up with Lewis Tully saying, I tried to crawl out on the ledge (laughs) to disconnect (laughs) you, but I couldn't do it. So I just turned up my TV real loud. So everyone thinks there's a problem with the TVs. And you're just sort of like, oh, it's kind of sweet, but also like you crawl out on the ledge yeah. <laughs> to do that. Yeah, he's not he's not a well man. Um, final cast member I want to sort of just talk about is, uh, as you meant, is is Peck, yeah, uh, Walter Peck, played by uh, the great William Atherton. Um, he he is like, unfortunately, he's one of, he's one of these actors. I wouldn't say stereotypes. I've seen him in a couple of things, but. Peck, you know, Walter Peck then leads on to the character, same character, similar character he plays in in Die Hard. Mm-hmm. So in a seminal sort of horror comedy, um, <laughs> in a seminal action film, he plays a complete prick. Yeah, that's um, true. So he's, he's in two fantastic films, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he is he, also great in this. I love how sort of like buttoned up he is and, and mm-hmm. how sort of like um, rigid he is. um. But yeah, I mean, what do you think of like William Atherton as Peck? Yeah,
0: I mean, he, he is absolutely flawless himself as well. Um, the kind of bureaucracy that he that just has that air around him almost has like this aura of bureaucracy. As soon as he walks onto the screen, the way he holds himself, and as you said, like buttoned up, but like literally as well, like everything about him feels like kind of buttoned up and tight. Yeah, he's great, and and look, Die Hard's my Favourite film of all time. Mm. Um, it's one I religiously watch every Christmas Eve. So no matter <laughs> what I'm doing, somebody's going to have to watch that that Christmas Eve. Um, and I think, yeah, of course, he's playing another, as you said, prick um, in that film. But but not, not the same. He's doing something slightly different there, mm-hmm. I think. So he does, even within his pricks, he does have range.
1: He has a series of pricks that he can sort of pull out whenever he wants.
0: He <laughs> <It> does, yeah.
1: <laughs> but he is great in this. I say, yeah. I, I love some of the, again, you say about line delivery. Mm. Um, he has, you know, there's a great sort of scene between him and um, Venkman when he first comes in. Yeah. Um, and Venkman sort of says, you know, you didn't say the magic word. And he sort of, even then, he's still playing with him. <laughs> he's sort of like, and what is the magic word? Yeah. Uh, and Venkman's like, please. Like, as if, like, you know. Like, didn't, you t- didn't your parents teach you anything um but he is he just he's just so irritating but <laughs> w- one of the weird things is and again there's two things that got pointed out to me uh recently which is quite interesting firstly he represents the epa which is the environmental protection agency mm-hmm. and to have them as a villain is so yeah, sure. it's so 80s <laughs> like <laughs> um you know in Reagan era America, like, yes, the mm. EPA are the baddies, and you go, okay, let's st- you know, they're stopping, we're trying to regulate all these small businesses. Um, but the other thing is, someone pointed out to me that scene, um, between Venkman and, and Peck. Mm-hmm. So, I and, and I'm going to concede this point because it's sort of interesting, but um, the whole part, the whole film is, is Venkman, the whole finale is Venkman's fault. Because if it, 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 someone uh, suggested to me if if Venkman had let Peck just see it and explained what it is, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have shut down the protection grid at the end of the film. Um, but like again, you know that is is what is, is it, it what's ifs and buts. But like yeah, it definitely sort of feels. Yeah, it makes
0: sense. So, because Frankman's anti-authoritarian, and he just wants to get in this guy's face. Absolutely, mm. yeah, yeah. It pushes him over the edge, and then therefore he, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Absolutely. How, yeah.
1: However, my point was Peck was always going to do it, like because he comes in, looking to sort of, you know, throw his weight around, show his power yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um. One of one of the things we'll get to. There's, there's a couple of things on my list I want to talk about. One of the things I was interested in, and again, it's one of those things I've never thought about as a kid. Hmm because um, you just enjoy it. You go along for the ride. But there's a moment in this film that has always sort of um, made my brain work around it. There's a scene where uh, Ray and Winston are in the car when they're coming back at night. It's a great scene. They talk about the Bible and they sort of quote, mm. uh, they quote sort of the end of day's judgment day. And, Ve- and, and Winston makes that point of sort of like, you know, well, you ever thought we are so busy because the dead are um, coming back yeah. from the grave? So one of the things that sort of uh, that's that's interesting is and it, it, again never thought about it as a kid but as I've got older it's like okay you, at the start of the film um there's the line where uh, Venkman says to ray uh, you've been going around the, the, you know the five three brothers, five boroughs sort of ask, talking to anybody who listen about ghosts and the paranormal you've, mm-hmm. seen, you've talked to everybody for ages and all of a sudden they see the ghost in the library and then that's what sort of kicks off the story it, Is Gozer already going to come? Is it it sort of the Gozer sort of coming about? You know, this event is—is Winston right? Mm -hmm. You know, um,
0: or yeah, so is it the argument of like? Escalation a bit like the Batman thing, if you know, like you just up like a bat, he dresses up like a clown, and then
1: yeah, like... I'm, I'm I was trying to figure out so basically sort of there's a trigger point. So you know, mm-hmm. Gozer comes about, Zool you know, comes and yeah. possesses Dana Barra, but the Ghostbusters are there to obviously, to prevent it at the end. Mm-hmm. But there's sort of like the, the instigation for the Ghostbusters is they see, uh, they get readings and stuff off of the mm-hmm. library ghost, and then they build from there. But what triggers the library ghost? Sure. Like, yeah, so yeah. Is it the presence of Zool trying to break mm-hmm. through the barrier that actually brings you know raises the paranormal, the PKE, if you will, uh, in New York? Mm. So sort of like that sort of like you know the coming of Gozer was actually what brought about the Ghostbusters as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think. Because you, you can put, you can point that finger that you can out a lot of films and a lot of lot of media about this idea of you know like the plot convenience of yeah. The the, the only people that can stop Gozer happen to have invented ghost bustling a few weeks before or a few months before. But I think that's a really interesting take on it because obviously we get the backstory, don't we, of the building being architecturally designed in order to allow for it. Mm. Um, And whether we don't get given a date, do we? There's not like any kind of specifics of like, on this date, this is when it's going to happen. So I think they don't write themselves into that corner, which is good. But of course, Gozer's only able to make that final transition across to our reality because of what happens with the containment unit being shut down. Right. That blast yes. opens up some sort of, so yeah, it is all definitely all intrinsically entwined. So is it like a case of, as you said, it's like DKE rising and uh, this is fated to always happen.
1: That, that's Yeah. And that's one of the things I always think, is like, you know, going back to the thing of like, it's Venkman's fault. Mm. I almost think like this almost acts like a prophecy. Like, Goes, mm-hmm. you know uh evo shandor was sort of like you know worship goza he was he was working towards the coming of goza mm-hmm. didn't live around long enough to see it something has brought goza to our you know our um dimension and it's this sort of like you say it then becomes like almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. supposed to have happened in this way um that you get the balance of good and, oh, sounds daft, but the balance of good and evil. Like Ghost mm-hmm. coming is confronted by the Ghostbusters, because um, again, like you know, if if it wasn't Ray, because Ray brings about the staple of Marshmallow Man, yeah, and they're able to tackle the staple of Marshmallow Man with the proton beams, but like he could have easily, just as easily, brought in like a hundred foot Freddy Krueger, yeah, sure, <laughs> or some other sort of you know giant beast. Mm-hmm. Um see so yeah, I don't know, just uh, the more I've watched it as I've got older, I'm like, this is a prophecy. Like that, you know, this wouldn't this feels a bit like there's something it feels quite sort of um eldritch and, and sort of grand in that scheme. Like this was mm. like you said, destined to happen. Mm-hmm. Um I think prophecy and destiny is the right word, isn't it? Because
0: there is a lot of kind of um there's a lot of like religious um mm. Undertones, isn't there? and you know that they, they quote the bible and ventman gets angry and the church is crushed um <laughs> you know i presume these these have all been in there from the writing probably from the script level and we know that um dan Aykroyd's coming at this from this whole script is coming from a place of belief mm. um i don't i don't really know enough about what i know he believes and his family believing in ghosts and that they they communicate with him and stuff but i don't know if that is then from a religious perspective and, uh, i'm not sure but um Know, yeah it's really know. interesting and you know of yeah. course the, the idea of like rapture and all that is you know destined to happen and stuff isn't it so it's all there isn't it to be to be found
1: yeah i mean it, it, you know when they sort of talk about the um you know and uh winston gives the prophecies are in the bible mm. um of judgment day you know they talk about the dead rising and the seas boiling and all this other stuff
0: earthquakes and yeah yeah
1: yeah you get you know, you don't, I don't think you actually yeah. see seas boiling, but you get earthquakes like before they mm-hmm. start, like the before you they start the, the the ascent up the up the building, like you get an earthquake, the, the roads all crack, mm-hmm. and you get those signs. Um, so yeah, it, it just to me, like just as I've got old, I'm like, yeah, they, you know, because I've seen people you said about that the contrivances, people have said, oh, it's is it, the contrived that they just happen to be around. I'm like, no, I think it's destiny. Like, I think it's mm-hmm. supposed to happen. Um. And Venkman even says that, doesn't he? Sort of like, you know, I think we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. It does, yeah. So at the very beginning of the film, when they get thrown at the university. So I think, yeah, even at the beginning of the film, they're telling you this is, everything's going to happen is destined to happen. So Venkman, you know, antagonising Peck, Mm -hmm. destined to happen. Like You know, they needed this anti-authoritarian to be, because if he'd have bumped into Ray or or Egon, that may not have happened. Mm-hmm. Is it events had to happen in this way for this thing to happen so you know, is goes or something is is fate does fate have a hand in this from beyond mm. or whatever maybe we get getting too deep on a sort of a, a horror comedy from 1984
0: <laughs> but- <laughs> no 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 I mean uh, I'm sure they were thinking about that in the two weeks whilst they were sat in a vineyard drinking wine and writing the scripts no definitely
1: yeah, it's one of the things I'd love to talk about, sort of, with Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, I'll, ne- I'll never get the chance, to be honest. But you know, if I ever had that chance, that's one of the things I'd definitely talk about. A um, couple of things that just in the last just final bits and pieces we'll get through. Mm. Let's talk about the car. Sure. Um, the eighties or the late seventies and the eighties are replete with awesome vehicles. <laughs> sure. Um, I don't think we get as many awesome vehicles in sort of shows and, and, and film today um ecto 1 mm. what were your thoughts on ecto ecto 1 um iconic uh silly what are your thoughts
0: oh it's definitely iconic isn't it it's right up there i mean um it is silly don't get me wrong <laughs> but um why 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 not i mean i think this movie manages to find that perfect balance between realism and silliness you know stay puff marshmallow man is absolutely ridiculous but somehow it just works works for what they need at the end of that movie Um, and I think actor one's the same isn't it because it's somewhere between an ambulance and a hearse and Mm. it's uh, saving life but but death uh, like undertones as well Um, yeah and I don't know who was in charge of designing the look but they got it spot on and whoever did the siren sound as well
1: um,
0: you know I've always thought if I could have any job in the world, it would be like a Foley artist mm. or a sound designer. Cause it just, when you see it behind the scenes, it just looks so much fun coming out with these sounds. Um, but yeah. They definitely got that, that siren spot on. Cause you just, you can just hear, even now I'm talking about it, I can hear it in the back of my head going around.
1: Yeah. It, it's, a, it's almost like a recognizable, you know, it's a siren as in, you know, yeah. you, you would recognize it as a sort of an emergency service siren, but it's still very distinctive. Mm. Um I did have it. I downloaded it as a ringtone and then had it as an alarm uh, for all of two days. <laughs> but before my beloved wife sort of said, get rid of that <laughs> or, or I get rid of you. Um, yeah, the, I, I love the car. Um, mm. You know, like I say, it's play for jokes. I love the fact that when Ray gets it, it's like, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> everyone's sort of panicking. I found the car. Mm. He's like, you know, uh, it's a real deal sort of. Um, just needs to get you know the the, the sharks the brakes that need like, give <laughs> this long laundry list it's like cost them five grand which in eighty four I'm sure is you know a lot more yeah. Um, so yeah now the, the car is iconic it's sort of it's lived on it's one of those I think mm. um I I often think about um something um that was said this was more relevant to like Judge Dredd and some other characters so if you can draw a character's silhouette mm-hmm. and have them be recognizable then you have drawn something iconic, sure. And I, I sort of think about that with the vehicles as well. Like if you were mm-hmm. to draw the outline of of mm-hmm. Ecto One, mm-hmm. like it's instantly recognisable. Like you know, agreed. Um, I I think the same of sort of like the eighty nine Batmobile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cars like that. You go, oh yeah, no, that is instantly recognisable. Um. But it's not a sports car, which, like you say, I love the fact it's not a sports car. <laughs> um, and, and one of the behind-the-scenes things is, like, they couldn't get it to go fast. It was, ho- it was highly unreliable. And so the first scene of them rocketing out of um, the, the firehouse mm. um, is, is actually sped up, and it's one of those things. Yeah, sort of yeah, like, yeah. You know, when you're a kid, you watch it, and you don't recognise these things. But when you watch it now, you know. Yes, that's clearly sped up. That car's probably doing about twenty miles an hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that reveal is so perfectly handled, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the the doors opening, the license plate, and then the siren, and then the birth. Yeah, it's so good. Uh,
1: well, that's the thing. I said there's so many iconic shots in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like you said, that thing of the reveal of the car, um, the reveal of sort of stay puffed at the end mm-hmm. uh, through the buildings, mm-hmm. um, the. You know the, the moment they walk into the Sedgwick Hotel, the first time you really see them in their uniform, yeah, um, all those sort of things. Yeah, it's so, um, like you said, they, they recognize it Ivan Reitman and, and I don't know who did the cinematography, but they recognize how to set up like an iconic shot, like it's you know, the
0: yeah, and when to hold stuff back as well, like um, Venkman getting slimes. yeah, who knows what that could have looked like with the budget and the effects that they were doing, it may have looked all right. But, but the, the tracking of um, following Ray to find mm. Venkman after he's been slimed is so good. I mean, it's almost like, you know, Kubrick's The Shining or something, but, but the idea of like, we're now with him and we're desperately trying to get there to find out what's happened to Venkman if he's okay. And then we find him doing the weird little kind of slime yeah. on the floor. <laughs> like to choose to frame it from that perspective, to actually take away from us what could have been a really cool iconic shot was equally as clever and equally as good um, filmmaking.
1: Yeah, you, you you say that one of the things is uh, I've read, and whether this is true or not, I don't know. But apparently, sort of following um, the special editions of the Star Wars being released and Lucas mm-hmm. obviously going back, a number of films and a lot of number of people were approached and were like, "Would you like to do this to your mm-hmm. film?" And apparently, sort of Ivan Reitman and stuff were approached and said, "Would you like to?" And he was mm-hmm. like, "No, it's it is what it is. Leave it alone." Yeah, right. And I, I sort of respect him for that because, mm. yeah, there could have been that thing of like, oh, yeah, we could actually sort of cut a little bit later and we could have like a CGI slimer coming in and doing this and mm-hmm. that. And like, no, it, you know, it wouldn't work. It, it, it is what it is. And I like it right. I think cutting away budget obviously, you know, drove some of this. Yeah. Um, But also I just think, yeah, good editing.
0: Yeah, yeah know,
1: absolutely. yeah. know when to cut away
0: it's instincts as well sometimes isn't it you know just like Jaws you know we all know the story behind the filmmaking of Jaws and so much of that was down to issues that were going on set and budget and mechanics and all that kind of stuff but actually the people that were making that film Spielberg and his editor and the writers just like Reitman and Aykroyd and Ramis they know what they're doing these people and Mm. when a problem is put in front of them they can creatively resolve that and actually sometimes better than it may have been originally
1: yeah I often wonder, this is one of those films I often think I'd love to have been in the editing room and they were putting this together. Mm. You know, the different the different takes or mm-hmm. the angles they may have shot and some scenes where they're like, um, yes, we're going to use that. and you know, or We're going to cut back on that. And yeah, this is where we're going to cut. You know, those sort of things. Yeah. Because even then, like you said, the, a joke, uh, you made a really good point before about everyone giving a chance to shine and them not mm-hmm. overshadowing anyone. There's, there's moments where like you say where they just cut a scene, like they don't linger on certain things, or they just, yeah. or they just give it just long enough. Agree. This would be um, two and a half hours if it was made nowadays. Yeah, yeah, you're right, I and mean, it's now an forty five. Yeah. Um, and like I say, and, and the same for the sequel. The sequel's about the same length. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, but if you were to put this in the hands of a, you know, like for, if this was a re- not not a reboot, that's what we've had that, but if this was to start now, like yeah, this would be a over over mm-hmm. two hour film. Uh, with, like, those long lingering joke scenes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was that, that's interesting, and we're going to talk about, we talked about iconic, and we're going to talk about the music. You talked about you mm. had the soundtrack. Uh, so mm. there's two elements of the music. There's the soundtrack, which is mm-hmm. the songs, and then there's the score. And I, they are two very, very different things. Uh, I love them both. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, the, the song Ghostbusters by Bray Parker Jr. is is inescapable. Mm. Um and catchy as hell. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and like you said in heavy rotation, but it's not the only good song no. on that soundtrack. Like mm-hmm. um it's just a belt in tune. I mean, well, I'm not gonna ask you to take the trunks, but like
0: yeah, I mean you so say you got cleaning up
1: the town, haven't you? Yes. For the
0: montage, which is awesome. Um uh, magic is really um well selected. For that moment as all the, the ghosts of bursting I go because it mm-hmm. has a real kind of haunting quality to it. But I agree, I think the score is fantastic as well. I think um something I read today, I think was you know that he wasn't is it Elmer Bernstein, is that yes. right? Yeah, yeah. He Bernstein. was a little bit out about the fact that he'd had this score he'd created and then they were going to stick in some pop songs. But then when he saw what you know the songs they picked, he felt like it all were all together really well. Um and if I remember rightly, you know, I don't sadly have that cassette tape anymore and I walked me to listen to it on. But it was a mixture, I think. I mean, I'm sure you could get the two separate, but I'm sure the one I had had like some score music alongside it, the soundtrack.
1: Yeah, so you, you are right. So the, the 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 album that is that was the soundtrack had mm. all the songs on it, and there are some mm. Belters on there, some really good cool songs. And then it had what they called the Ghostbusters theme and Dana's theme. Uh, that's right,
0: yeah, okay. Which is like the love kind of theme. Yeah. yeah,
1: and then the Ghostbusters theme, which isn't the Ray song, it's a different song. It's the sort of like, um, you hear it at the very beginning of the film and it's sort of interwoven in little bits. Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. That's the one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what it's still into...
0: up there, it's still up there.
1: So, yeah, I would do it, but I'm tone deaf. So even if I did <laughs> it, to me, it would sound right, but everyone else would be like, what are you doing? Sounds nothing like anything. Um, That sounded, so the, the, the full Elmer Bernstein a score wasn't released until uh, the 40th anniversary, mm-hmm. um, and so it's, and, and it was released on on sort of CD and LP and all that kind of stuff. And um, when you listen to it, you realise like there's so much music that he wrote and he obviously scored like that's not in the film. but mm. um, like, there's a whole sort of like uh, steel drum bit in the, oh. <laughs> in the score, which is ace, but like never appears anywhere. Um, but Al Bernstein's score is really good because he uses. Uh, unusual instruments like it's it's sort of set to mm. be weird it's very sort of it reminds me very much of sort of like um it keeps the eerie but has the comedy mm-hmm. sort of like you said the dun dun, dun-, 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 dun sort of like yeah, that yeah. thing um that reminds me of Al- Abbott and Costello or those sorts of things from the sort of the 40s. But what's the instrument I'm I'm trying to think of it's what's it called but it's the two sort of like aerials and as you put your hand in it changes Ooh, uh, theramin. Theramin, there you go. Um, I was thinking of Thermia, I think that's the Thurman paradox, which is something completely different. But pheromone, <laughs> and he uses that, and he uses that really well, and that's mm-hmm. in the film as well. Um, but yeah, Elmer Bernstein's score is—it's it's one of those scores I think that gets underappreciated because it was never mm-hmm. fully released, mm. uh, and everyone talks about obviously the Ghostbusters songs. But yeah, that score is 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 absolutely wonderful. And well, um, I know what
0: I'll be that. listening to tomorrow.
1: It's available. It's you know. It's it's not hugely expensive. You can pick up the MP3 on on like Amazon and or you know on iTunes mm. or whatever. Yeah, well worth tracking down. Really, it's really, it is really really good. It's one of those that sort of like you say. Having now you've watched the film today, mm. you'll listen to that score and you, in your head you'll be like, oh that goes to that. Oh yeah,
0: that sure. Bit. Yeah, yeah. he's great. That's the film. best part about doing it, it. Yeah. Um, I was interested just before you move on, it's like um when I was doing my little bits of research and stuff today, something else that the two things was my key master um being locked out, and then this idea of um Ray Parker Jr. and Huey Lewis in the news. Mm. And I listened to that song today. That what is it called? It's something like um I want a I want I want a drug I want a new drug, I think it's called the Huey yeah. Lewis in the New Song. I've never heard that song before. No. He definitely had a case. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. They right, settled but, uh, out of I, court. Did yeah. I, to say, I court? believe
0: he got. He got some. There is some heavy similarities between those
1: two songs. Um, if I believe right, that sort of like Ray Parker, the story from Ray Parker Junior. He locked himself in a room and he sort of came up with the song in three days.
0: Right.
1: And there's a part of it that's like, I've heard it as well. I think every Ghosthead, like every Ghostbusters his fans going, "I'm going to go find it. What? How? You know? Is it true?" And you listen to it and you go, "Oh, <laughs> oh, yes." Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I wonder what Mr. J- Mister Parker Jr. was listening to just before he locked himself away for three days.
0: Yeah, well, I think it was used to temp music, wasn't it? Which I know mm. happens a lot in, in filmmaking and editing. So it must be hard to get away from it once you've heard yeah. it yeah. matched to that scene. But um, yeah, I was quite shocked, actually. I did exactly that noise. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh.
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. It <laughs>
0: if is I were you,
1: I'd be a bit annoyed. Yeah, I think you got a payout. You know, I think they sort of they settled out of court, so it's all it's all good. Yeah. The, the other thing, the other thing to, to note actually, uh, you talk about sort of court cases, because uh, this film isn't uh, shy around the things. Is actually the name. Mm, mm. Um. So up until. Um, literally like the 13th hour this film had, wasn't called Ghostbusters mm-hmm. uh, it was going to be called like, Ghost Chasers or Ghost Crushers and a whole bunch of other things they were sort of banding around a bunch of others because there's a 1970s live action in a cartoon called Ghostbusters uh, mm-hmm. that was a, I think it was a Hanna-Barbera sort of uh, job and they had the copyright but Dan Aykroyd and stuff wanted to call it um, and Ivan Reitman wanted to call it Ghostbusters like you know mm-hmm. So you know the scene where they've got Ghostbusters on the, the big, the big uh, the, the banner they have above the thing. So there's yeah. multiple versions of that where they've got the different names and they have obviously Vakman reacting to it. Mm. Um, but the, the scene that confirmed it is the moment they turn up at uh, Dana's building at the end. And mm-hmm. they were trying to get the the, the the people chanting, you know, something. And they locked onto Ghostbusters. Sure. And that's, that's all by accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get them going, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, and apparently at that point they filmed it and they sent that da- the dailies off. Nice uh, to Colombia and we're like, you need to pay Hanna Barbera. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They need to be paid off. This is the name of the film, and they saw that and they're like, okay, we've got to go sort of that out.
0: Yeah, nothing else sounds as good, does it? Go was it Ghost Smashes and go? Well, you know, yeah. yeah, Ghostbusters just has a ring to it I and mean, it's nothing to do with how iconic it's become since it's just something about it it
1: and works doesn't it it's that sort of uh it does so like
0: busting ghosts hmm. sounds great smashing ghosts catching you know wh- whatever they're going to go with yeah it just has something about it well, even money for, well spent
1: oh yeah no definitely like ray, even for ray parker jr sort of like you know chasing makes me feel good doesn't really you know it doesn't uh right. work um So, yeah, no, it's, again, we were going back to lightning in the bottle. All the things fell into place. Mm. Um, And that's obviously why the cartoons has to be called the real Ghostbusters, because they couldn't have a cartoon called Ghostbusters because there was already a cartoon called. I I love the fact they're like, no, but we're the real Ghostbusters. (laughs) None of your Hanna-Barbera nonsense. Um, So, yes, we talked about the music, we talked about all this other stuff. So, um, really, just sort of ran out of, you know, is that thing of, we sort of answered, you've shown it to, to you know, your kids and, mm. um, you know, having watched it and discussed it then, you know, Ghostbusters 94, does it stand up? Is it a film that, you know, do do you use it? Is it one that will be in your rotation in the future? Do you still love it? What are your final thoughts?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those ones you could, a bit like Back to the Future, I'd say, you know, like that kind of movie. You could just you could what stick it on. It could be in the background and you would slowly find yourself being drawn in whatever else you think you were going to do whilst it was on, you'd watch it, or you put it on because you want to watch it and you would just sit rigidly and and you you know it'd come on TV, you wouldn't be able to turn over, you'd be up till three in the morning watching it. Yeah, definitely. It's it stays in hard rotation. I think watching it with my eldest, yeah, he was seven. Um there were a couple of times as as the parent was like, Oh, yeah, forgotten about. Uh, Ray getting a blowjob and oh like da- Dana's sexiness when um she's trying to seduce yeah well, not Dana's sexiness, sorry. Um Zool's sexiness when she's trying to seduce Finkman. But when you're seven, that shit goes over your head, just like it did for you and me. I'm sure when we first watched it, he didn't pick up on any of it. Um yeah, definitely. My youngest is now 2 nearly three. So when he's old enough, he'll be watching it too. Excellent. Yeah,
1: that's it. Raising them right. That's what you doing, man. You're raising yeah, them absolutely. right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, you're right. I love it. Um and you know. I wouldn't be doing this really, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're right about some of the things there are bits that have dated, you know, um, it's a time capsule as well about like 80s, New York. Yep. It's a New York film as well. Like, you know, it's a good example of those sort of New York films. Um, but also like I say, I think it's a quintessential 80s movie. Like you mentioned sort of mm. like back to the future, back to the future has been an almost perfect film mm. um, for exactly what it wants to be. Um, and I think this is up there with that, uh, as a representation of sort of like 80s cinema. Um, but you mentioned about this. Yeah, there's, there's, there's so much that like we've talked about, like that, that could have been. You talked about uh, Ray, Ray getting a blowjob from a ghost, <laughs> which is bizarre that it even stays in the film because that's actually from a, a bigger scene. Mm. Originally, that wasn't part of a dream sequence. That was actually going to be uh, he, he and and Winston go into Fort Den something or other. They actually go to 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 an investigation, and it was going to be that he was going to look around, put on the coat lie on the bed and then a, a ghost was gonna sexually assault him <laughs> and they were like don't think we need that but we'll keep no. it we'll keep in the sort of we'll keep in the <laughs> blowjob joke um and we'll make it a dream sequence um which works it's a joke it becomes a joke so you're like oh, okay mm-hmm. it's, it's just ray having a sort of like you know a sexy ghost dream um so yeah it, it sort of to me, this film sort of stands up. I think, you know, like you say, the, mm. the, char- the charm of the special effects, practical special effects as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Some of the ghosts. There's some sort of there's some matte paintings and some of the bits that don't mm. work at the end. A bit, a bit sort of shonky, but I'm glad they've kept them there. If yeah, I'm honest. agreed. Um, uh, and yes, Veidtman, you know, probably isn't the best role model for for anyone. Uh, and it's you know, we'll t- when I talk to Max to, uh, in the next episode about. Ghostbusters 2 We'll understand mm-hmm. why He probably wasn't The, the, the person to be His <laughs> father um, So Yes That's I think you're right It's a great film And I'm so glad I got to talk about it And, and you know mm. um, It'll be interesting To see how this Sort of stacks up But we're going to do the, There are two final things I've got to do The two final questions So Number one We've been talking about Ghostbusters Speculation and thoughts On, on Ghostbusters Afterlife mm. You've seen the trailer Have you seen the trailers Have you seen the bits and pieces I have, yeah. I've seen the trailers. I mean,
0: I'm, I, yeah, trepidatiously excited. I mean, Paul Rudd elevates basically everything he's in other than Halloween six, um, <laughs> as I found out recently. <laughs> yeah. Other than yeah. that, um, so yeah, his presence fills me with joy. Um, obviously, it's essentially going to be Stranger Things meets Ghostbusters, isn't it? I mean, you can't stick one of the kids from Stranger Things in it, and, but everything yeah. now is pretty much. Stranger Things yeah. come, come wh- whatever it might be, um, because that's just had, itself has had such an indelible impact on, on cultural society. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be good. You talking about practical effects, that's my one concern. is isn't the right word, because it's not that strong, but I think, I haven't seen the 2016 um, remake. Mm. It, I, I just wasn't drawn to it, really. Um, but I think I am going to watch it now, ahead of Afterlife coming out. Um, because I want to see how like the three kind of iterations stack up against each mm. other, you know, the kind of the, the, the 84 and the the sequel is of a time, isn't it? And then you get the 2016 and now you're getting afterlife because I think the CGI nature takes away some of that tangibility. Mm. Um, and after all, we're, we're talking about a film, which is about ghosts, which you shouldn't really be able to touch, but these ghosts have a tangible presence. they, slime and they can drive cars and, and all this kind of stuff so, um yeah that's the only thing that I'm I'm not sure about hopefully they'll they'll do a mixture of the practical and the, the CGI
1: from what I understand they've said there, there is some practical in there mm. um, I, I don't know like you say it might just be a token mm-hmm. practical effects um I get the feeling if you if you've watched the latest trailer there's there's a terror dog in it eating something out of a bag and when it raises its head I'm like that looks practical sure. But other than that, but then there's obviously scenes when it's running around. I'm like, oh, that's clearly not. But mm-hmm. I wonder, like, you know, was there some that had sort of a, like they've put some on as a physical person? It'd be interesting to see. I agree. It's one of those things that's sort of like, I'm not one of these that decries all CGI, you know. No, like, of course yeah, not. But you're telling me, I love puppetry and I love mm. um, practical effects. I've literally just watched all the Chucky films, like all the Charles mm-hmm. Play films. And, you know... The puppetry and some of those is fantastic The facial stuff on it's fantastic. The fact that I'm watching like you know, a puppet as a star of a film is yeah like a horrible. You know it says it all. So I, I hope you're right. I hope they do. Um, I I recommend 2016. You'll think I won't. not mm-hmm. give my you know thoughts on it just now. But it, it's worth checking out if you're gonna watch You know watch them all.
0: It's it's not the female lineup that's the, the think You know I'm not one of those guys. Which I think you know everybody that's had me on anything that I've mm. done before knows there is one particular person within the lineup which is the big. Off-putting thing for me, um, who, who happens to be female, but she just happens to be omnipresent and you can't escape her. But I don't find her particularly a particularly charming presence on screen.
1: Um,
0: you, you, you can say it here; there is no judgment. <laughs> yeah, Melissa McCarthy, isn't it? That's in it. I don't she, find her a very charming screen presence.
1: Yeah, she's a marmite kind of actress. Because mm. I know people that really like her, and I, I know other people that are like you that are like. Yeah, can't stand. It. Like she, she sort of, you know, but again, like yeah. she's she's almost like. Um, I, I always find like my dad cannot stand Jim Carrey. At mm-hmm. like the moment he comes on the screen, he's like, "Nope, I'm off, I'm done." <laughs> I cannot stand him, um, and I know people that look sort of the same with Melissa McCarthy. Like anything she did, like no, she just makes this worse, and yeah. and, we'll, and we'll leave it. So, um, I know she has that sort of um, that sort of. I you know, say, Marmite. She's like the
0: so, female James
1: Corden, eh? Yeah, but I think more people hate James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's definitely true.
1: Yeah, But yeah, no. It'd be interesting what you think about that. Um, but anyway, final question. Then we've gone through a different mm. pieces. What is okay? I'm asking this of everybody as I go through these fans and reviewers. Do you believe in ghosts?
0: No. Do I have my my license to be a Ghostbusters fan revoked immediately? Yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
0: no, I don't think I do. I think I'm one of those very definitively practical, scientific-minded people that kind of see the end as the end and then we turn into dirt and I don't know any better than anybody else. But I, I'd i love to um, have an experience which would allow me to, I'm open mm-hmm. to that completely, but mm. um, it hasn't happened yet.
1: No, it was absolutely, like I say, out their opinion. That's what I want to see, see how many people do believe. Um, yeah. Yeah, makes you a bit difficult to be a Ghostbuster if you don't believe in ghosts. But... <laughs> it does. <laughs> that's sort of like true. job done. They, they don't exist. Job done. There we go. Move absolutely.
0: on. Hey, look, that's the, that's the best thing about being a Ghostbuster is, again, I love that scene when they come out of the hotel ballroom and they've caught um, Slimer and they're like, you know, they're charging, it's four grand for this and a grand for this and a grand for that. And they're like, well, we'll just go and put them back then. Yeah. the guy who's paying out has got no evidence that anything has happened whatsoever up than the fact they've completely just fucked up his ballroom yeah. um, <laughs> that's the best thing about any Ghostbusters it's like yeah 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 we've caught him he's in here don't worry about it Um yeah. they are the only ones who really know for sure whether it's true or not
1: yeah in, well in this film
0: um,
1: yeah but this just, film, the, that's true. They, they're definitely yeah. trying to dra- I think that's a, 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 a noticed thing in this and they definitely address it in some of the future ones um, yes, no, this has been absolutely fantastic. I've really enjoyed talking Ghostbusters. Uh, and I could talk more, but uh, it's getting on a late. And, uh, you know, we've got other films to talk about. Uh, that we'll get on to Ghostbusters 2 in the next episode uh, with uh, other friend of the show, Max Byrne. Mm. Uh, 2016 uh, with, with your sister, uh, Rhea Carrigan. Uh, and then I'm, I still have a slot. I'm not sure who it's going to be yet, because obviously mm. we've got Afterlife coming at the end of all this. But in mm-hmm. amongst all of this... Uh, I am speaking to uh, Ghost Heads UK. I'm speaking to Channeling oh, awesome. Spirits. I'm speaking to a group of people all about their Ghostbusters fandom, cosplayers, mm-hmm. um, podcasters, all that works. It's going to be great. So this is Ghostbusters Month. And, uh, you know, there we go. we started with the film review. So I hope, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've been enjoying it. But James, let, before we go,
0: mm.
1: your pop, where can people find you? And where can people find um, Season's Greetings and Pop Gorillas?
0: Mm, Yeah, as you mentioned, I'm part of the Comics Emotion Network family now. uh, Quite entrenched, I think. Yeah. No getting rid of me now, it's too late. Um, And that's where you'll find Caesar's Greetings, which I co-host with Tony. So we watch um, an entire series, obviously through an order. We've done all of Buffy and we're halfway through Angel now. um, And we're starting to think about what we're going to be doing next um, from our extensive list of potential choices. Yeah, I'm a pop griller um which is yeah like a like i guess like a sister like a tangentially connected to comics emotion i mean essentially dave and chris just help everyone do what they need to do so they've given us plenty of airtime which has been amazing and we've really appreciated that um and we do have a twitter handle which is pop and it's gorilla but as if we are out stalking you and you can't escape us Mm -hmm. and we're going to pop up at any time rather than the eighth um And then me personally, I'm on Twitter under I'm Jack's Meetings, and that's J-A-C-S, and I just post basically my diary of watching and reading, Um, which is somewhat... Tony's the real driving force, but he said he was inspired by the fact of my, what I hope are quite pithy little reviews of what I've been experiencing.
1: I like your reviews. I love them. I agree.
0: I appreciate
1: it. Um, and I like the fact that, like you say, uh some of those are sort of I like to come and find your reviews from our my sister podcast, Stories at Time and Space. <laughs> yeah. Uh, often when Julian and I have a consideration or thoughts, I like to sort of see what people do. If you sometimes, yeah, you do a lot of watch alongs. So I do, yeah. I do like to sort of find out what other people are thinking. If you're on board or if sort of uh, yeah,
0: um
1: and uh we've got one coming up, I think they're like we watched uh, Event Horizon. Mm yeah we may be controversial on that one
0: Ooh, okay i'm behind i've got to catch up with you guys so uh, i look forward to that I'll try and do it in time for event horizon excellent
1: anyway ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for listening and if you like i say we're giving all these little pops go check out Pop Rollers. i'm going to say one thing actually when your logo becomes a sticker i want it as a i want it as a sort of vinyl <laughs> sticker or something i absolutely love your logo it's awesome um but yeah, ladies, if you like what we're doing, go onto your podcast catcher. You listen to us into your ears, go to your device, leave a review, five stars, four stars, leave a review. Let us know what you think about like all our feedback. And go on to Patreon, patreon.com slash 20 CG Media. Uh, three different tiers, loads of stuff on there. Uh, one of the best things we do a weekly podcast, me and Julian Darius of uh, Stories at Time and Space, going through the Twilight Zone. Uh, I was also meeting with 30 Minute Thoughts every month and our quarterly uh, creator corner so much content on there um if you like me rambling it's fantastic you love it <laughs> uh but other than that james thank you very much for talking ghostbusters with me
0: thank you for uh, the invitation it's been great
1: uh, thank you and ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for listening and uh, we shall talk again soon